Broadcasting live from the Raiders practice facility at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. This is the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. We're going to go right back out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in a new friend and a good new friend of, of the show, Patrick Everson. Uh, you can follow him at covers underscore Vegas. Um, I'm sure the uh, the name uh, of, of the, or the, the Twitter name kind of gives away uh, exactly what he does. He works for covers.com. Um, and Patrick, first of all, thanks so much for, uh, for dropping by and spending some time with us in the huddle. I got to ask you right off the bat, Pat, um, these NBA f- playoffs have just been a cluster, you know what, in terms of the injuries, who's available, um, how crazy and how much more difficult has it made setting lines and trying to manage this whole thing from your guys' perspective? Well, I mean, look, from, I mean, I'm just covering it all, but from, from, from what I'm Your world. <laughs> yeah, from my world, from, from talking to the people who've got to do all this, I think you could see how challenging it became just based on the fact that a team that two and a half months ago was 150 to one made it to game five, game six of the Eastern Conference Finals. That was the real challenge for some of these books. Is, uh, you know, nobody really saw the Atlanta Hawks coming, and uh, although some betters did have an inkling that, that, that there might be some, some staying power with Atlanta, and they were right, and probably got themselves into pretty reasonable positions to hedge on the Atlanta Hawks. There were some sizable bets at BetMGM here in Vegas, at the Superbook here in Vegas, at William Hill in Vegas, uh, from a group or a, at least a couple of people who – uh, went pretty, went in pretty big on the on the Hawks at much larger odds from mid-April all the way till late May, and th- th- there were going to be some significant payouts and there was some significant liability for the books to the Atlanta Hawks. So, um, I would think just just from that perspective, it's a little bit different way than looking at it game by game. But just by the fact that that team went that far, it kind of shows you how challenging it's been. You know, you can't really, it's hard to handicap or 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 odds make, if you will, to book around injuries and players not at their best and and both both conferences had teams that that had issues with injuries no question so um it's certainly been a challenge maybe even more so than it was doing the whole bubble thing last year yeah i agree on that and i want to take you patrick um right to the suns um and there's i just look at the suns and i'm not predicting the same type of success for the raiders but I, but i use them as an example when Raider Nation freaks out, um, you know, because of the win pre- uh, total pre- predictions for the Raiders this right. year, I think they're hovering right around seven, seven point five in that range. Uh, and Raider Nation is, oh my gosh, you know, and and you know, upset. But I point to the Suns as an example of it doesn't always work out the way the predictions say. And a lot of times, there's definitely been been historical evidence of teams playing well above. The win uh, projection total, the Suns being a clear example. I want to say that they were right around 36, 37 uh, win total coming into this year prediction-wise. I think they won 51, 52 games. So um, it can happen, right? It, it's Teams play above that projection all the time, and that's kind of the enticement of the bet itself. Trying to figure out are they going to do are they going to uh, exceed that level or are they going to be where they thought you know where 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 Vegas thought they were going to be 
Uh, can I make a case that, hey, the Raiders could follow a similar path? Um, maybe not all the way to the Super Bowl where the Suns would make it to the NBA Finals, but in terms of their win total, play well above the seven per, uh, uh, number that's being projected right now. Oh, I think you can, you can always make that case. And there's certainly there's, – there's no question that there's some good talent on that team. And obviously Las Vegas, you know, the, the region here would like to see this team play up to a higher level. We've been spoiled the last few years with, you know, getting a, a – you know, the new franchise and the Golden Knights. And the Golden Knights have done nothing but been great. I mean, they've been to a Stanley Cup final. They've been to two conference finals. Been phenomenal. Um, and I, I think people want to see the Raiders do likewise, and I'm sure the Raiders themselves would, you know, want to match that. They want to have that kind of energy going for them, you know, late in a season and, and, and into the playoffs. It's, and, and you're right, they are sitting around seven, seven and a half, and it's been interesting the way this has been bet. I've discussed this with, with uh, I actually discussed this earlier today with Chris Andrews uh, at the South Point, the sports director at the South Point, and Generally speaking, the public, you know, the public is eternally optimistic. The the average casual better, the fan type better, eternal optimism. They're betting the over on seven and a half. But uh, uh, you know, the 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 more professional money, the wise guys, Chris said, they're tending to bet the under on that Raiders seven and a half. So we'll see who's uh, we'll see who comes out correct on that over these uh, over these next few months. All right, so if you can kind of explain, um, you know, how, does, how do they come up with that number? Uh, what, what really goes into it? I'm sure historical goes into it, roster yep. improvements or, or, or not. But, you know, how do, how do they come up with it? And is there a point where, you know, they, they kind of get into that area of, all right, now we're, we're just kind of trying to not tease the betters, but, you know, I'm trying to, to play that line as well. Oh, I think, the, I think there's going to be a little bit of that. For sure, if they uh, there are several odds makers in this city, and Chris Andrews is certainly among them. Chris and Jimmy down at the South Point, and there are some others, and, and that don't mind taking a position on something. And they'll, if they take a position on something, then what they'll try to do is entice others to take the other side. Because if they feel strongly enough about their position, uh, they'll want to price things, or you know, set a set a win total, or at least a price on a win total in a way that gets people to take the opposite of what they think is going to happen, of what they feel is, is, is going to happen. But as far as, you know, kind of how this process goes, um, what Chris said is, you know, a lot of it is public perception, so a lot of it filters in from the previous season. How did things go the previous season? How many games did they win? How did they look? How did they look late in the year? Maybe did they, did they you know, did they make the playoffs at least, et cetera. So there's some public perception and some, and some, and some recent past performance that weighs into this for sure. Um, Chris, I thought interestingly, he said the draft, at least for me, is not a big deal. It's I put a lot more weight into trades and off-season signings than than I put into the draft. That's what he was telling me this afternoon. And and then he said from there, you just have to add them up as you start. You know, once you start getting a win total for each team, then you got to do the math and you got to make sure that whatever the total number of wins is is pretty close to the actual total number of games that can be won or lost in an NFL season. So, you know, there, there's that factor, too. And when you get to that, if it's, a little bit, if it's a little bit off kilter, then they've got to go kind of back through their numbers, revisit, and make sure that when you add up every team's win total, it's right on or pretty close to the actual number of games that can be won and lost, because otherwise you could be putting yourself in a tough spot. And believe me, the sharp bettors will find those holes if you happen to create them. 
I was just going to ask you that. Like, it all adds up. It has to add up when you yes. when you <laughs> exactly. Wow. And, and I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, Vinny, but that's you know that's that's one element that you know the more casual betters or people who are just getting into this, you know, obviously sports betting is expanding very rapidly and it's bringing in a lot of new betters, a new audience. Um, you know, and they might look at something and be like, well, how in the world can the Raiders be seven and a half? Well. Look at what they have the rest of the division pegged at. Then look at what they have the rest of the AFC pegged at. Add it all up and see where everything's pegged at. And then try to figure out, okay, well, would you give the Raiders an extra win here, an extra half a win? And if you did, who are you going to take that away from? Right. So that, it, so that mathematically this all reasonably adds up. So there's a lot more, than, there's, there's a, there's a lot more involved in the risk room than just uh, you know, darts at a dartboard, pick a number. Um, there, there's, there's some concerns there that they have to be very aware of to make sure they don't put themselves in a position where an over or an under is, a, is, is a, you know, is more of a, maybe not a slam dunk because nothing's ever a slam dunk, but, but puts themselves in a vulnerable position with people who really pay attention to these numbers. We're talking to Patrick Everson from covers.com. You can follow him at covers underscore uh, Vegas. All right. So, um, as we're looking at these, you know, the, the over-under and the win projections and, and all of that good stuff, uh, have people been betting pretty pretty consistently uh, since these lines came out? Or, or are we starting to see maybe even more of a pickup because the season's literally right around the corner? I think, it's, I, I think even right now it's probably a little bit slow, generally speaking. I think there's probably, uh, you know, uh, uh, some some good action when it first goes up. When it first goes on the board, there's some excitement, there's some energy. People want to see those numbers. And the sharper folks who don't really like to have their money tied up for months may not bet this, but they'll look for holes. And if there's a hole or a perceived hole, then they'll bet it. Um, and the public gets excited just because it's NFL and everybody. NFL drives the U.S. sports betting bus. It is you know any you can put anything NFL on the board, and people are going to be intrigued by it and will probably bet it. But to your point, um, the Raiders are certainly seeing some action. And, again, as, as Chris told me earlier today, Chris Andrews at the South Point, he said, wise guys will bet the under whenever they get the right price. The, the total has stayed at 7.5. It hasn't gone down to 7, hasn't moved up to 8. But if the price is right, they like betting the under, and they've been betting the under at minus 110 and minus 120, and now the under is actually a minus 125 favorite at the South Point. But he said the public has bet the over on multiple prices. The public is not quite as discerning on that. They just feel like, hey, there's going to be eight wins at least from the Raiders this season and hopefully a, a playoff appearance. I think what's interesting is the situation that's, that's developing around the Green Bay Packers and with that, the most direct combatants of the Green Bay Packers, and that is the rest of the NFC North. So right now, Aaron Rodgers, who's out playing golf on our TV as we all speak <laughs> right. uh, in a rather interesting match, um, there's, no, there's not certainty that he's going to be back with Green Bay this season. So as such... Chris and South Point, and I'm sure some other books, don't even have Green Bay win total on the board. It is off the board. But because of the potential for Ant Rogers not returning, the Bears and the Vikings are the two teams that are getting bet over the most. And in the Bears' case, the Bears' opening win total was seven, uh, priced at under minus 145. Now it's up to seven and a half, under minus 120. So they're up a half a win. And the Vikings, they're still at nine, but they, they, it opened with shaded toward the under, under minus 120, meaning the under, is, under nine was the favorite, basically. And it's now over minus 115. So it's, it's, it's fascinating how that's working out 
having to think of having to kind of guesstimate a little bit. Okay, is Aaron coming back? If he doesn't, what do we make the number? And then the betters thinking, well, hoping maybe that Aaron doesn't come back. The Bears betters and the Vikings betters jump on the over, figuring that could be one to two more wins for each of those teams this season. I, this is probably a very naive question, but is there could could anyone could somebody bet? Is there a line I should say for whether Aaron Rodgers even comes back or not? Is that is that that's a good question? I think there. I, I'm not sure if anybody has it up in Vegas, and the way it would have to be uh, written based on Nevada gaming regulations, it would have to be a bet. And and I'm not saying it's not up because it may be, and, and and some books have done this in Nevada from time to time. But it would have to be phrased something like this: Where will Aaron Rodgers take his first snap next year? And then they would list like Denver Broncos, you know, uh, whoever, you know, any other team that's in that mix, Broncos, 49ers, et cetera. And you could, you could bet it that way. And I'm, and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if a FanDuel or a DraftKings perhaps has something like that. I can tell you for certain in the quote unquote global market, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, <laughs> that, that bet is probably out there. And, and I'm sure people are intrigued by it. I don't think it's getting overwhelming action, but it's just kind of a, a, a good for entertainment purposes play that, that people might be interested in. All right, just one other question to that. And what would prevent, you know, Aaron Rodgers or somebody that he knows betting that, you know, because he knows, you know what I'm saying? Like, how, how, does, how, does, how do bookmakers protect themselves from something like that occurring? Well, first off, bookmakers very much know a lot of their main clients, and if you were going to bet that and actually try to make some money off of it, you have to bet a significant amount of money. These things are not going to be priced in a way where you can make a lot of money unless you're betting a lot of money. Right. If you're betting a lot of money, the sportsbooks know who you are. They know where your funds are coming from. They know who you may be connected to. This I can't remember who it was, but it was a couple of summers ago and I, I can't remember the, the, the sport or the team. I do think I think it was somebody tied to the Arizona Cardinals. And actually, it may have even been during the season. I think it was a Cardinals player who was injured betting on his team during the season and completely got caught. And it's just generally, and this obviously was somebody who was like a reserve or down the line, because most of the time, these players are making so much money that they would never jeopardize it in a way like this. It's, you can't right. make enough money to, 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 to uh, you know, to justify doing it. It's silly. But also, if somebody was dialed in, you know, a connection or whatever, it would be hard to get enough money down for it to make it a worthwhile play. And even if you could, uh, trust me, the sports books are very tuned in to who's making bets like that and have to be. And they're the ones who root these things out and often let the league know when there's some sort of unusual betting pattern or perhaps a uh, somebody betting who... They feel shouldn't be. They're the ones who tend to root these things out. It's not the league. It's the books. And that's the, that's the beauty of legal regulated sports books is they are, in, they are in the best position to root these things out. And they have the most reason to root these things out. And when they do get rooted out, it's the books, you know, calling the gaming commission who then calls the leagues and say, hey, we've got something funny going on here. We need to look into this. So, um, you know, the, the, the leagues honestly should be grateful for the, uh, for the legal regulated sports betting business. We're talking to Patrick Everson uh, from Covers.com, and you can follow him at Covers underscore Vegas. Last question for you. Uh, we've seen here in Las Vegas uh, two um, 
openings of, of some, some new uh, casinos, uh, the resorts um, mm-hmm. over on the Las Vegas Strip, and before that, Circa uh, opened up as well. Uh, how are those two uh, new properties uh, doing, and, and you know, uh, are, are they conducive to the sports world and the sports betting world, too? Oh, well, Circa, no question. That sportsbook there is unbelievable, as, as I'm sure you've spoken about on your show and others have told you, and, and I'm sure you've seen it as well. It's mm-hmm. an amazing space. I was actually there last night, you know, Tuesday night, or rather Monday night coming off a holiday weekend. So it was, it was, it was slow in there, but you know, I know it was packed all weekend long. I had people texting and tweeting me who had come to town and, and so on. So that's, it, it's, it's doing very, very well there. The comeback has been really good this summer and hopefully uh, keep things under control and ride this into football season and, and put this whole pandemic behind us. Resorts World, I know in the first week or so that it was open, the numbers were fantastic there. The sports book is a little bit different space. It's more of what I'd call a boutique sports book. There's, a, there's like a sports bar and restaurant, and at the back of the sports bar and restaurant is the book. A relatively small counter, has about five or six ticket windows, and then a nice, and just a nice wall of TVs. It's not overwhelming. It's not 30 feet high. It's not 100 feet long but it's just a nice place to sit down and watch a game. It's a real comfortable atmosphere. So, um, you know, depending on what your vibe is, you can get it in either place. And honestly, my vibe changes. Sometimes I want the overwhelming, and sometimes I want to just chill out and watch a game in, in a place that's a little, uh, a little more boutique-ish, if you will. And I think uh, you'll find you'll like both these places. They're good spots. Well, Patrick, you just hit the nail on the head. I think you just summed up Las Vegas. Whatever it is that you prefer, it's here. It's available to you uh, one way or another, and sometimes right next door to each other, too. So uh, you could could walk from one to the other. That's what makes this place so special uh, and so great. Patrick Everson, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. Always appreciate uh, the insight and uh, a peek into a very, very intriguing world and one that's opening up more and more uh, to the average Joes out there. And I think that's a really, really good thing. Patrick, thanks so much for spending some you time bet. with thanks us. You thanks, Have a great week. You too, brother. That's Patrick Everson from Covers.com. You can follow him at Covers underscore Vegas. Very, very interesting. Always love talking to that guy. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonchenor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Yeah, I wanted to be used in the capacity of a versatile player. America once again, um, you know, I got all the love and respect for everybody in the Cardinals organization. Uh, but I just felt like I kind of got put back into a a box, which was kind of ironic compared to where I, what I was doing in um, in Miami. It was like the opposite box. It was like I was just used in space, and I felt like I could be a first or second down, third down, back. And then when I got to Arizona, it kind of reversed, and I was just used primarily first and second down. So it was like I proved I can do both facets. And now I feel like coming to the Raiders, obviously we have – capable backs all through that um, lineup, I mean, and obviously with Josh, uh, but I feel like I can be used in a multitude of ways, not just in that specific box of just one or the other, just, you know, a versatile playmaker that can make plays in space, but also can get to tough yards whenever need be. So interesting comments today over on Sirius XM NFL Radio. 
Kenyon Drake, the Raiders' new uh, running back, uh, talking uh, to, to those guys uh, today and talking about how he was used in Arizona compared to how he was used in Miami and now how he anticipates being used here in Las Vegas with the Raiders, which I think the understanding is it's going to be more like he was used in Miami um, and not just somebody that's going to be kind of pigeonholed in, in kind of one – like a one-trick pony type of a type of a running back uh, or weapon, I should say, because I think Kenyon Drake can be classified more as a weapon that's going to be utilized all over the field rather than just a running back. And I think that that's one of the reasons why Kenyon Drake is here. I think that John Gruden has the foresight to see what he's capable of doing in this offense. Uh, as a weapon in multiple different ways compared to somebody that you're just going to hand the ball to, uh, which is kind of what they were doing in Arizona. And as Kenyon Drake, you know, explained nothing, no, no disrespect to anybody in Arizona. That's what their vision was of, of Kenyon. And, and that's fine. Everyone has um, their thoughts and their way of doing things. But I think Kenyon Drake wants to kind of get back to what he was doing in Miami and maybe in a better place here in Las Vegas with a veteran quarterback now in, 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 um, in Derek Carr, plus the creativity of John Gruden, the play caller, and his understanding of how to use a Kenyon Drake. And, and Kenyon talked about that earlier today on NFL XM uh, radio in terms of what he expects or how he expects to be used uh, with the Raiders and some of the conversations that he had along those lines. Yeah, they, the first thing he asked me was that, you know, if I could, you know, line up and play receiver, if I was uh, had the ability to run routes, it was how I could be, you know, learn a playbook in that capacity. And I was like, for sure. Um, you know, I, I feel like, all the way up to my career in this point from uh, coming out as an athlete in high school uh, to playing receiver um, at Alabama when um, my guy uh, Kiffin was there. And then how my career kind of manifested up to this point from starting special teams and, you know, playing significantly more in 2017 after Jay and Damian uh, Williams got hurt. And now – you know, how everything happened when I got traded to the Cardinals. I feel like my career has kind of come to this uh, fork in the road to where I can really show my versatility from everything that will kind of manifest into itself right now. So I'm, I'm definitely excited to see how, you know, our roles continue to develop with obviously Josh being, you know, the man got to go out there and do what he has to do because I have much respect and love for him and his game and what – um Coach Gruder has planned for us in that specific capacity, but um, I feel like I'm gonna have a big role in this offense. And you know, with them being a top ten offense last year, the skies uh, is is the limit for us. I'm, I'm yeah. ready to see us take it to the next level. That's new Raiders running back Kenyon Drake. Uh, he was on Sirius XM NFL Radio earlier today, uh, today with our good friends Bruce Murray and Kirk Morrison. Kirk Morrison, the former Raider player, obviously, uh, and and talking about the way he anticipates being used here with the Raiders. Um, and it's not going to be that one trick pony. We're going to, you know, hand the ball to you and you're going to be the co-running back with Josh Jacobs. Uh, I think that, and I think that going back to that signing and some of the head scratching that people um, were doing 
was the result of just kind of thinking in a box, oh, another running back, but they have Josh Jacobs. It's not just a running back. In football, just like so many others, you know, basketball, let's just put it that way, where it's not necessarily polit- uh, positionless to the extent that the NBA is. It's just with the creativity that, that coaches have now and the ability to, to spread people out and find the mismatches and find uh, the great matchups for your offense on any particular given play, good coaches are understanding that being able to utilize players in, in all sorts of different ways, it's just going to make the offense that much more creative, that much more explosive, that much more effective, right? And so I think head-scratching, why would you sign Kenyon Drake? You already have a running back in Josh Jacobs. Well, because I don't think, and I think this is pretty obvious from the get-go, John Gruden is looking at Kenyon Drake as, as anybody's backup or anything like that. He's a weapon that the Raiders are going to use. He's a, a, will he be on the field to start drives, to start the game? No, but if that's your classification for whether you're a starting player or not. I think you're, you're, you, you've got your head back in another decade. He's going to be used quite like a starter would. He's going to get starter minutes. And it's going to come in all sorts of different ways, sometimes in the slot, sometimes outlined, lined out wide, sometimes as a halfback, sometimes in motion. He's going to be used as a blocker, a runner, a pass catcher. He's a weapon, and that's what John Gruden saw and envisioned in bringing Kenyon Drake here. It's not doubling up at running back. It's adding another weapon to an offense that, when you start looking at it, honestly, is filled with weapons and potentially more (laughs) if certain guys – Take the necessary steps forward. Henry Ruggs can be an ultimate kind of a NFL weapon. Brian Edwards can be that big, physical, go-get-the-ball kind of a weapon in the middle of the field, in the red zone. Foster Moreau, we've talked about him and the Raiders' plans for Foster as a supplement to Darren Waller, who is one of the ultimate weapons in the entire NFL. You know, so, and then Kenyon Drake. There's going to be so many more options on where to go with the ball. And you have a quarterback in Derek Carr who speaks the same exact language as his coach. They are literally an extension of each other at this point. They see this game the same way. What did Kenyon Drake mention earlier in the show about how in meetings and when they got out on the field in OTAs and what he saw on film just watching the Raiders last year about how Derek Carr, you know, when the play comes in, it's not just one play. It's one play. Here's the play call, but then here's the, the, the sub-play calls that you can go to out of this personnel group that we have on the field. Let's just say 21 personnel. All right, here's a play call. But here's what you can opt into 
if the defense has this look, that look, whatever look, you don't, that doesn't just like happen. You don't just get to that point automatically. You don't just start off at that point. John Gruden and Derek Carr at, are, at, are now at a point where, again, they speak the same language. They see the game the same exact way. When And Derek talked about this last year. Remember when we were talking about this, how he's like, you know, you're, you're, you're leaving the, the huddle and you're looking one way and the other and going, wow, there's a lot of talent here. You know, and if the defense wants to stop this, I got that that I can turn to. If you're going to do that, okay, we'll go in this direction. And sometimes we just believe that we're good enough to just take whatever we want. That was Derek Carr talking last year, going into last year. And don't forget, the Raiders' offense was a top 10 offense in the NFL. Those were some – he knew what he was dealing with last year, right around this time of year, a couple weeks forward, just after a short time in training camp going, "Um, there's a lot of talent here. And that was without an offseason program. This offense just finished up a couple of weeks ago a two-month offseason program with – Young players like Henry Ruggs getting their first offseason. Brian Edwards getting their first offseason. His first offseason. Foster Moreau, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs, John Brown, Willie Sneed. All of these guys are going to see the field. Mark my word on that. And now you add a Kenyon Drake who can catch the ball, run routes adequately, not just adequately, at a high level. Where do you think it's going to be felt the most? I think all over the field without question. But I think the Raiders with this new level of talent, some of the additions that they've made, guys getting better, Derek Carr being uh, as deep into this offense now as he is, what you're looking to do if you're the Raiders is improving in those margins, right? The red zone, turning more red zone visits into touchdowns and not settling for field goals. We've talked quite a bit about how the Raiders' offensive efficiency in the red zone actually increased from 2019 to 2020. That's why they scored, what, seven more points, eight more points, last year that they did compared to 2019. The problem was, too many times, it was field goals rather than touchdowns. You bring in a guy like Kenyon Drake, who could be an ultimate-type weapon in the red zone as a runner and as a pass catcher. You add a Foster Moreau, who now completely healthy, showed he had an ability in 2019 as a rookie, to find his way into the end zone. I think he's got seven touchdown receptions and 20-some-odd receptions. That's not a bad ratio. He has a knack in that regard. Darren Waller, there's nothing you can say about Darren Waller. I mean, he's as good as it gets. But now he'll be playing in an offense that could have an emerging Henry Ruggs. You add Kenyon Drake, a known commodity. 
Josh Jacobs, Hunter Renfro, Willie Sneed, John Brown. <laughs> I mean, it's, this offense has a chance to be pretty darn good. And I think that sometimes we may scratch our heads because we get so caught up in the position aspect. Kenyon Drake's a running back. But the Raiders have Josh Jacobs. Why would they do that? Well, look where football is headed right now. Look where football has been headed. You're trying to get as many mismatches as you can possibly get on any given play. Even if it just becomes one on any position on, on any particular play, that's enough. That's what you're trying to do. And what it all boils down to is that pretty much on any given play, based on the kind of play caller that John Gruden is, the kind of talent that the Raiders could potentially have, well, in some cases, not potentially proven talent that the Raiders have, and some potentially big-time additions with some big-time moves forward from guys like Henry Ruggs and, and Brian Edwards. What the Raiders could ultimately have on any given play is multiple nice matchups, but one or two that are just way nicer than the others. That's what happens when you accumulate talent and you accumulate versatility and you can accumulate players with different skill sets. And it just makes for a nightmare situation trying to defend it. Can the Raiders block it successfully? Well, we're going to find out pretty quickly. It's a redone offensive line. There's no secret about that. But if Andre James and Alex Leatherwood can deliver adequate play, then I think the Raiders will be perfectly fine along the offensive line. They'll get that figured out. Tom Cable will get that figured out. And now behind that, alongside it, you have the kind of weapons now. A quarterback that understands this offense, a quarterback that knows how to get the team into favorable looks offensively. So the chances are pretty scary. The question, of course, is can that Raiders defense make the necessary improvements to be a true complement for what looks like a pretty darn good offense. An offense that, frankly, I think people are sleeping on. You see the win totals, seven by Vegas. Maybe it's because they still are skeptical of that defense, and understandably so. The defense gave up 30 points a game last year, and that's not good. But if the defense can improve on that, whether it's significantly or moderately, so there's a chance to be a pretty good Raiders team. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajara. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. We talked on occasion. It wasn't really much of a... Uh, a dialogue prior to just because I wanted to kind of, you know, have my options kind of out there laid out and didn't want to get too deep into it. But because I don't know, I just knew I had a lot of options and I wanted to kind of 
uh, lay him out and, you know, see how they kind of played out. But once I kind of got to the team, he was obviously excited. Um, he, you know, he told me that he was uh, going to bat for me to kind of try to get, you know, us connected, you know, in that, uh, in that capacity once I got there. And, you know, he was one of my, my good friends. So when I got there after you know, he got to a mini camp, um, went out to dinner, uh, hung out a few times. I mean, that's just a type of relationship we kind of have. And a lot of people on the team have, I'm excited about the camaraderie. This team kind of is building and built throughout the off season, uh, mini camp, uh, OTAs and kind of going into this, uh, this new season. I feel like that will kind of really bode well for us to win, you know, things kind of, you know, they don't go according to plan, which they won't. In the NFL season, everybody has great players on the team and nobody is expected to go 17 and 0. But, uh, you know, things will continue to bode well for teams that, you know, really have a good relationship amongst, you know, the players and coaches and alike. That's Kenyon Drake, very cerebral new member of the Raiders, talking about how Josh Jacobs was an advocate of his coming to the Raiders. Kind of ironic, they both play the same position, but as we talked about in the last segment, don't get caught up in that whole thing. The Raiders have a plan for Kenyon Drake, and it's not just handing him the ball. He's going to play in conjunction with Josh Jacobs, sometimes in lieu of Josh Jacobs. He's going to allow the Raiders at times to go up-tempo, play fast. What does that mean? Well, no huddle, just line it up, force the defense to match up because they're not going to be able to go substitute. So you get the right personnel grouping on the field against a favorable personnel grouping on the other side of the field, and all of a sudden you're going to try to milk that. And Kenyon Drake, with his ability to line up as a running back and as a wide receiver, is going to allow the Raiders to do that more often this year. Whether it's to jumpstart a struggling offense or uh, just to, to throw a surprise at the opposing defense and really get after it and start exploiting a bunch of uh, good matchups. Imagine Kenyon Drake lined up as a wide receiver operating against a linebacker. Yeah, that's what you're looking for. Remember when I covered the Super Bowl, the Rams against the New England Patriots? Um, remember, it was not an offensive juggernaut. Um, but it was two elite defensive coordinators getting after each other, Bill Belichick for the Patriots uh, and Wade Phillips for the Rams, and they just kind of had each other's number They had, uh, in that game. It was a sight to behold. It was a bad Super Bowl if you're looking at you know offense. But and I remember flying home f- uh, from Atlanta to Los Angeles, and I was sitting next to some parents of some New England Patriots players, uh, and they were telling me how – uh, one one couple, their son played offense, and he had a bunch of friends on the Rams, and they were saying, man, <laughs> during the game, that player, the offensive player for the Patriots, was telling the Rams guys, man, nobody's done this to us <laughs> this year. What the heck, man? You know, like that's how good the Rams' defensive game plan was compared to um, 
And the same same with with the Patriots' defensive game plan. They locked each other down, but it came down to one drive. And if I remember correctly, it was 22 personnel, I want to say, that the Patriots just just played in that entire drive. I have to look back to see if it was 21 or 22. But they, out of that 22 personnel, two tight ends, two running backs, everybody, they, they, they did so many different things out of that personnel grouping where guys were lined up and how they were utilized and finding mismatches. And the Rams got confused. It was the same players, the same personnel grouping, just being utilized in a million different ways, not a million different ways, obviously. It was like seven, eight different plays, seven, eight different ways. And they just kept finding the good matchup, the proper matchup. And a lot of it was Gronkowski, and I think I want to say Edelman uh, figured prominently on that drive as well. And they just kept – there's there's one play, it was the big, big uh, throw to Gronkowski, where the Rams are like trying to figure it out like where's Gronkowski? And they they as the play is getting ready to be snapped, and you can see guys running toward him, trying to pick him up, but it was too late because they just disguised it so well. And how they, it was just like a sneak attack, and it was almost like they had it in their back pocket. But it it shows what you can do in a hurry up type situation, utilizing the same personnel grouping, the same exact players, but just lining them up in a million different ways. We talked about that during OTAs, my observation of uh, the Raiders in um, red zone, it was a red zone period, and it was 23 personnel, two running backs, three tight ends. And it was just, if you like football and you like the intricacies of football, you had to be impressed by what the Raiders were doing out of the same exact personnel grouping Two tight ends, or excuse me, three tight ends, two running backs. And they were lined up all various different ways. They were utilized. All of it. Everybody touched the ball. Multiple people ran it. Multiple people caught it. It was just, they, part of it was just getting tough and physical and running it up there. Sometimes they spread it out. Sometimes they played bunched all out of the same personnel grouping. It was a kind of a sight to behold. Well, and Kenyon Drake was on the field. You, you start thinking about that and adding all these pieces that the Raiders have offensively and all the various different ways that they're going to be utilized. And make no mistake, John Gruden is a master at this. He really is. Can you argue with the results? Of course you can. This, this, this operation is not where these last three years is not where the Raiders want it to be. That's obvious. It goes without saying. But I think there's faith in this organization, in this building, that it's getting there and that it's pretty close to being there. They feel like they have the right coach in place. And they're giving him the necessary time to get them where they want to be, not just for fleeting success, but for prolonged success. The Raiders are set up really well in terms of their salary cap. I think it's projected to have $52 million under the cap next year. I think they've done a good job personnel-wise, especially offensively. 
And I think that people are going to see that this year more than they have in the past, even though last year it was a top 10 offense. I think it has a chance to be even better this year. Where it lies, where it's going to ultimately, what it's ultimately going to come down to is can that defense hold up its end of the bargain? It's hard to believe that they could be any worse or as bad as they were last year. They're bound to improve. There's too many good players out there. There's too much good coaching out there. If, you, if, you, if you're counting on Gus Bradley, and I think this is a good bet, getting that group together in a meaningful way, in a way that's going to be able to offer an adequate complement to what they're doing offensively, the Raiders could be in business. And that seven-win total, hmm. I think you know what I would do. I'm not in that world. I don't want to ever be in that world, to be honest with you. I like looking at it now. I'm in Las Vegas. It's right up in your face. And it's getting more and more in everybody's face because it's getting legalized. So just interesting. Interesting listening to Kenyon Drake talk about how he expects to be utilized this year in contrast to to, um, where it was last year with the Cardinals. Could be an interesting year. I think offensively there's going to be a lot of fun to be had (laughs) with this Raiders team. Can they make the necessary stops on the other side of the ball? We're going to find out. Just want to say thanks to um, our guests today, Sam Gordon, uh, Patrick Everson from uh, Covers.com. Sam, of course, from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Always appreciate their insight. Want to say thanks to the callers. Want to say thanks to the listeners. You're why we do this. Thank you to um, Raiders headquarters for hosting us uh, today in the beautiful studio here in Henderson. Damon Cotton, appreciate everything that you do. You know that. We're back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. Talk more about the potential contract extension for Derek Carr, where this offense is, and how much better can this defense be. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Byron.